Good afternoon. Happy Friday, Acadiana. Welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with you guys this afternoon. It is chilly. It's cloudy. Uh, about three or four raindrops hit my windshield on the way over. So it is a little murky out there, but it's all good because it's going to be a sunny and chilly weekend. So grab the gumbo pots or whatever it is you're going to cook in this weekend and make some magic happen. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. All right, the big news of the day. Let's start about uh, let's start off. We've talked about the economy a good bit. There's actually good economic news coming out today. Uh, the January jobs report showed a gain of 6 uh, I'm sorry, of 467,000 jobs added in the month of January. That's against the 150,000 expectation. By the way, have those expectations ever been right? They've either been super low or super high compared to the reality. But anyway, 467,000 jobs created in the month of January. And a lot of people were actually thinking it would be a negative number um, after the uh, after uh, recent economic news. What's more, here's what's incredible. December, the job numbers were... 199,000, and they were revised upward to 510,000. As well, uh, November's numbers were revised upward by 398,000. So we're looking at 1.2 million jobs that have been created in the past three months. A couple things about this that, that we can kind of draw from the conclusion. First of all, this is the holiday season we're talking about, jobs that are, made, that are created during the holiday season. And what actually appears to have happened, and this is pretty incredible, is that a lot of seasonal hiring turned into permanent hiring. Oftentimes during the holiday season, you see a lot of uh, seasonal hires, but those are temporary jobs to meet the demand and the output of the different businesses that operate during the holidays. Well, that seasonal hiring seems to have stuck. As well, it looks like people are finally like, okay, forget it where the virus is concerned. People are going to work. They're staying at work. Businesses realize that you don't have to close every wave. You don't have to adjust your hours. Every wave of coronavirus that comes through this is a sign that the economy is waking back up, which should not be a surprise when you have a man-made economic downturn to see man-made solutions bring it back up again. This isn't like some, some major global issue that has forced the economy to go down. We did this to ourselves in response to what was happening with coronavirus. So we're looking at a fantastic economic report today. Truth be told, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics dropped a report that essentially said, hey, in the past three months, we've created 1.2 million jobs. That's awesome. Now, the downside to this is that Joe Biden is saying, well, since I've been president, we've created 6.1 million jobs because the Democrats like Well, actually, I, I can't say the Democrats. Every politician wants to do this. When they're in power, they want to say that they're the reason jobs get created. And of course, the usual notification has to go out to these politicians. Y'all, government doesn't create jobs. 
The government does not go out there and manually create the jobs. The government's effect on the job market is typically we're going to pass some regulations that restrict businesses or we're going to roll back regulations that promote business growth. And as a result, we typically see economic pluses and minuses with these policies. What's happening right now, though, is a little bit different. The government has not been doing a whole lot to promote job growth, but we're seeing the poor economic situation of the United States that started with the initial shutdowns back when Trump was in office. The economy's finally waking back up, finally stretching its legs a bit. So Biden can't really say he's created any jobs. What has he done to create jobs? There's no policy, really, nothing that's happened. Instead, this is the economy just kind of coming back to its natural state, where it was actually before Biden, you know, before Biden took over, before the coronavirus really, you know, caused a major economic downturn, we're starting to see the economy look more like how it looked under Trump. Trump did not create the jobs that were being created during his era. Let's be clear on that. But during Trump's time, there were a lot of government regulations that were being rolled back and the business environment in the United States was pretty good and it caused a lot of job growth. And so we had what most economists thought were artificially inflated job numbers. The, the, the economy, every time you thought, oh man, this it cannot go any higher, we're about to see a collapse, the numbers went higher on the jobs, on, on economic, all the economic numbers kept going up despite what every economist was saying. And because of that, people were worried that this was a, an artificially inflated economy, a bubble that we were in. And the bubble never burst. In fact, the bubble never burst in, in any real meaningful sense. It was COVID-19, and we kind of burst the bubble ourselves. And now we're seeing that the economy is healing from what we did to it. So this is good economic news. It means that for you and me, for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our communities, we are seeing things starting to wake up. Now, here in our area, it was not as bad as we're seeing in some other areas. But overall, across the country, we're seeing really good numbers, and it's causing a lot of really good things to be happening in our communities. Great news for America. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, jump into some of the other news of the day. Hey, the creepy porn lawyer is guilty again. Let's talk about that and some more when we come back from this break here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with you guys. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542. As well, you can join me on uh, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can subscribe to my daily newsletter at kitchenpundit.substack.com and read my daily columns at redstate.com. All those places you can find me. And if you miss any part of the show, you can go back and listen to the podcast version on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. Y'all, the pride and joy of Louisiana has struck again. Stormy Daniels, porn star from Louisiana, has, uh, has, been, the down, has been yet another downfall for Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, the creepy porn lawyer, 
uh, has been convicted of wire fraud in a case where he was accused of taking Stormy Daniels' book advance money. Now, this is like his third conviction in the last couple years. He was convicted of defrauding clients. He was convicted of trying to extort millions from Nike. And now he's been convicted again. This has been an extraordinary adventure in media irresponsibility. Because if you'll recall, with the Stormy Daniels thing, he was all over CNN and all over MSNBC. Then you know what else happened? Brett Kavanaugh. The Brett Kavanaugh hearings happened. And Avenatti was representing some crazy person, some, some crazy woman who, who claimed that Kavanaugh uh, ran essentially a gang rape on her. And the media took Avenatti and, the, and this client seriously. There was no scrap of evidence. It was crazy the amount of media attention he had been getting since the start of the Trump era. He knows how to cash a check or he knows how to, to cash in and make money off of a situation. Now, apparently it, it's now come back to bite him because he stole a lot of that money that he cashed in. Use his fame to get some clients and get some... Well, I can't say that because some of this, I think, was before the Trump era. I mean, he's been a shady lawyer for a long, long time. It just he, he His spotlight got too bright during the Trump years. But Avenatti uh, convicted his sentencing for this particular case will be in May. He's hoping to appeal it. Um, but he was representing himself. And what's the old adage about the person represents himself has a fool for a lawyer, especially when that lawyer is Michael Avenatti? You're really foolish. Um, it, it's just crazy. It, it's it's absolutely crazy. CNN is one of the most egregious, and CNN, of course, being talked about a lot here recently because of the whole Jeff Zucker thing. And you can go back, and you can they're they're littered all over the internet. You can find screenshots. There's one iconic moment of Brian Stelter of Reliable Sources on CNN pensively drinking his mug of coffee while listening to Avenatti spout some nonsense. And all of this because Avenatti was a very reliable anti-Trump voice and a very reliable anti-Kavanaugh voice and just outspoken critic of, of the Trump administration. And he used his lawyerly talents to, to make the most of that. And they... they, they Loved it. They lived it. They wanted him on every minute. There was open speculation in the media that Avenatti maybe could be the next guy to run against Trump. And now he's been convicted for a third time of fraud because that's what he is, is a fraud. You know, the interesting thing is that it's not Stormy Daniels' first time being part of a major political story in the United States. Do you guys remember, had to be first decade of the 2000s, late during that time. I was in college, I know. Um, and it was David Vitter running for Senate for the first time. And Stormy Daniels announced that she was going to run for the U.S. Senate against Vitter and was it Melanson on the first time? I can't, whoever it was. Vitter was in the race and Daniels announced that she was in the race. And, and I remember this very clearly because this was also around the time that the Republican National Committee got in trouble. There's headlines about it. They had like paid a ton of money 
to take their uh, leadership team or whatever to a strip club in D.C. And it was a big scandal. And uh, it was, I think Michael Steele was in charge of the RNC at the time. I don't think he was directly involved, and I think it was people under him who had, who had spent this money or whatever, and it just a terrible thing that happened um, for the RNC. And Stormy Daniels came out, and this is why I, why I remember the story, because it's kind of hilarious. Stormy Daniels came out and said, I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I'm running as a Republican because the Republican Party clearly shares my values in, 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 in supporting these hardworking women in these strip clubs or whatever. And it was it was just this very weird time, or at least at the time we thought it was a very weird time in American politics, and we did not know just how weird things were going to get. So 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. Lots to uh, continue talking about. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the bottom of the hour, I do want, I'm going to talk about my, my column from today. Uh, the Republican Party, at the state level, in several different places, filled with people who look at this victory that the Republicans are seeing on the education issue, and they're snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. There's this one bill that's been proposed in Oklahoma that blows my mind at how stupid it is. But I want to get to that in the bottom of the hour. Uh, so actually, Mark and I were talking during the break about the Olympics and how neither one of us are going to be watching the Olympics. It, it's it's not... I'm. I'm not great at watching sports as it is. Um, I will be going tonight to support uh, my school in their in their uh, playoff game uh, for soccer in the in the, in the playoffs, second round. Uh, but I'm terrible about like watching sports on TV. I have a horrible, horrible attention deficit disorder. Actually, we call it ADOS. It's attention deficit. Ooh, shiny. So. That and so I can't watch sports on TV. I watch college football fairly regularly, and I watch college basketball, but I don't watch the professionals. So I barely pay attention to the stuff I do and to the teams I do enjoy. So I don't watch sports very well. So it's not like I was going to give a whole lot of attention to the Olympics anyway. But the China issue is a very real issue. China very cynically, there the 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 athlete they sent to light the torch was a Uyghur, the 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 Muslim minority that they've been committing genocide against. Very very cynical thing for the Chinese to do, but it was their attempt at a PR stunt to kind of try to ignore you know everything else that's going on. Finally, healing. They let one athlete light a torch, but you have. All sorts of things. There was a, a, a viral video clip today of an NBC reporter. I don't. I think it was. In, I think it was a, a foreign NBC uh, affiliate. But their reporter was literally grabbed by security and dragged off camera. Like this is the the International Olympic Committee needs to just be completely dismantled for allowing knowing full well what was happening in China because the, the, these reports aren't new. The, the, the International Olympic Committee needs to be dismantled and they need to start over. And I've, it's a very tough situation. But ultimately, I think we shouldn't have sent athletes and I don't think that we should give NBC the ratings for it. And it's not, it's not fair to the athletes. I know it puts them in a terrible position. I feel horribly for them because they are in a terrible situation. But at the same time, China should not be rewarded 
with a bunch of positive PR being allowed to host the Olympics after what they've been doing. And what's more, what in God's name is going through Nancy Pelosi's head when she says, I don't think the athletes should uh, should protest. I, 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 it, it, it puts them in danger. Nancy Pelosi, a far-left activist in Congress, the leader of the Democrats in Congress, the party that cheered on violent protests over the summer of 2020, is now worried that protest might lead somebody to danger. That's the whole point of activism and protesting, isn't it? That's what we've been told. And here we are with the leader of the Democrats in Congress. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not raise too big a fuss. Let's just go there and compete. Nancy Pelosi at no point ever said anything like that about Colin Kaepernick or any of the NFL players who were, or any of the professional athletes who took a knee. Never said any of that about uh, the NBA protests and, and, and all the activism that goes on there. No, don't let our, don't let our Olympic athletes get, uh, get political. Don't let them protest too much. You know, it could put them in danger. The whole point of protest, the whole point of activism is that it potentially has, it potentially comes at a cost. And I understand wanting to protect our athletes. Again, I understand wanting to support our athletes and wanting to watch the Olympics and support them. This is a terrible situation that we've been put in, that our athletes have been put in. But for her to sit there and say that we shouldn't protest, that our athletes shouldn't protest what's, what China is doing, when, I'm sorry, but if you were to get arrested in China as an Olympic athlete for protesting what China's doing, that raises the awareness tenfold, a thousandfold. That's the best time to get arrested for it. Not great for the athlete, but that is what hap- that's how activism causes change. It's stupid to make that kind of statement. 232-1542. We're going to go ahead and take a break for some news and we will be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk KPL 965 when we come back. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. All right, I have to bring up the, the Stormy Daniels thing one more time because this is probably the greatest line of the day. This is from, uh, this is from John Gabriel, uh, editor-in-chief at Ricochet. Um, Avenatti bizarrely decided to represent himself in the trial and called Daniels to the stand for a thorough berating. It was to no avail as the jury decided the porn star who talks to ghosts and received messages from a doll named Susan was more credible than the, than the disgraced lawyer. That's it. That's the line of the day. That's your quote of the day. The porn star who talks to ghosts and receives messages from a doll named Susan is more credible than the disgraced lawyer. That's, that's really it. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. All right. To be serious. There's actually a breaking story right now that ties into to what I want to talk about. The, the Washington Post is reporting that a judge in Arlington has decided to side against parents by putting a restraining order 
on Glenn, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin's executive order that gave parents a choice to mask their kids in schools. Remember, Youngkin said, we're going to take away mask mandates. We're going to make it optional. And a judge in Arlington has sided against that executive order and against parents because it's parents who want that. Politics is shifting. And right now, Republicans are seeing the tide shift in their favor on public education. So it should come as no surprise to anybody that in this brave new world, some parts of the Republican Party are eager to to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Oklahoma Republican Senator Bob Standridge has introduced a bill that would allow people to sue teachers if they offer an opposing view from the religious beliefs held by students. This is being reported by The Independent, the, the, the international media outlet, not you know local. Um, the proposed act, named the Students' Religious Belief Protection Act, means students can demand the removal of any book with perceived anti-religious content from school. Subjects like LGBT plus issues, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, and even birth control could be off the table. Teachers could be sued a minimum of $10,000 per incident per individual, and the fines would be paid from personal resources, not from school funds, from other individuals or groups. If the teacher is unable to pay, they would be fired under the legislation. The act will be introduced to the Education Committee in the Oklahoma Senate next week, but it doesn't specify which religious beliefs will be used to prosecute offending teachers. Rather than addressing the very real issues in our education system, Senator Standridge has decided that he wants to see a revival of the Scopes trial in new and exciting ways. Because that's what this is coming down to. He appears to be just fine. Dare I say, canceling teachers who would bring up a view that is contrary to a student's, or more importantly, a student's parents' view. This is irresponsible. I I know that we want to talk about critical race theory. I know we want to talk about stuff that our kids should or should not be learning in school. But here's the thing. If you want to respect the personal or religious beliefs of a student, you don't ban opposing views. You promote discussion. You invite discussion. You invite understanding. You don't force everybody to agree, but you let them get it all out and get people to understand each other's side. You don't start banning things, ideas, books, whatever it is. And some of the reports out there on book bans are not really book bans. It's just the left in the media getting excited over a a book being removed from a curriculum. The whole controversy of the graphic novel Mouse is a classic example of the media just getting overhyped about something that is not the case at all. But this, what, what Standridge's bill in Oklahoma is doing is it reinforces the idea um, that the worst people to try and change education or politicians. That's what's happening here is once again, we're being reminded the worst people to try and change education are politicians. They have no idea what's happening in education. Banning opposing views is not the way 
to get the education system to work. It's anathema to a good, proper education, frankly. If you want to fix education, I've got some suggestions. All right? Write statutory language to require lesson plans to be available to the public. Not just posted for the students, but actually publicly available for parents to look at. Several stories are floating around about how teachers uh, try to be sneaky and try to, you know, insert something into the lesson without it really being, you know, um, in the lesson plans or whatever. Make it all public. Create a non-disruptive means of challenging and reviewing content parents have a concern with. Make it easier for parents to have a say, but without giving up total control of the classroom to parents. We, we still need to understand there has to be a balance between the teacher running the classroom and the parents being concerned with what is actually being inflicted upon their kids. Diminish the lobbying capacity. I, I, not, not like... The, the collective bargaining or the addressing, pub, uh, addressing school boards and, and central offices or anything like that, but the lobbying capacity of teachers' unions. Their ability to go, and this is, this is a thing that Citizens United actually makes very difficult to do, to restrict how teachers' unions can lobby. But teachers' unions have been very destructive, especially over the last couple of years, in terms of encouraging school shutdowns and really being at the forefront of trying to keep parents out of education. Create a system of peer review that promotes diversity and makes meetings on content and curriculum in schools public. If the system wishes to adopt something, make that process public so that any issues can be brought up, addressed, and managed. Stop silent curriculum policy changes. Allow everybody's voice to be heard, just like any other public issue. Clarify the difference between curriculum content and teaching methodology, because everybody gets all this confused. Oh, they're teaching CRT. CRT is not a con. It's not content. It's not a curriculum. It's a teaching methodology. You don't want it in your school, but you have to understand what it is that's, that's actually happening here. Push for standards-based grading, everybody. You want your kids to be graded on whether or not they're learning what they're supposed to be able to know and do, whether it be on a standardized test or in life. There are standards in every content area, including the non-tested classes. I know this. I teach those standards. I teach non-core standards this year. There are standards out there. If there's not something directly for you, I guarantee you can find it. But push for standards-based grading. Make it more objective. Don't leave it up to the subjectivity of the teachers. Oh, I'm just going to grade you on this. Make the grade reflect the actual standards. If they've mastered ELA content 1.1, then you give them a little check mark on that. And if they haven't mastered, they got to keep working on it until they do. There's loads of ways to do it out there. But make that a more enforced or a more encouraged policy at least. And then open up more opportunities for school choice. If schools and systems want to pursue policies parents don't like, the parents ultimately should be able to vote with their feet and get their kids out of the schools that are not serving their kids the way they want their kids to be served. Republicans right now have all of the momentum in public education. You're seeing states across the country introduce bills 
to allow money to follow the kids rather than go straight to the schools. You have opportunities for choice opening up. You have a blue state that got flipped in November because the tides on the, the tide of public opinion on education is shifting. Don't ruin it with stupid messaging legislation because that's what this is. This bill is a messaging bill. It's not expected to go anywhere. But as much as you want to message on it, the other side can message on it, and it will scare people back to the other side. There are ways to really reform education that don't require you to write up a stupid bill. There are ways to reform education to where you can combat the real problems with critical race theory, the real problems with a lot of education policy. There are ways to change things without doing something stupid like this. Or the bill I mentioned yesterday that wants to make uh, elected school board positions uh, non-compensated. These are dumb ideas. We can do better. Conservatives can do better. and We should. 232-1542 if you want to call in, take part in the conversation. When we come back, a couple other things I want to touch on. And hey, why do the Cincinnati Bengals want to win the Super Bowl? I have the answer for that when we come back after this break here on the News on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in this segment. Uh, real quick, do want to mention that you can check out the podcast version of this show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you might find your favorite podcast. If you listen to podcasts, there's a lot of good stuff happening on KPL all day, so maybe you just listen to talk radio all day. But if you miss anything that Bernie and Ian say, Moon says, uh, Brandon and Shannon say after me, or me, you can find all these podcasts online. I've just made sure that mine are available wherever you might get your podcasts. The Cincinnati Bengals want to win the Super Bowl for Harambe. This is when internet culture takes over reality. You may not remember the name Harambe. Harambe was the name of that silverback gorilla that was shot and killed in a Cincinnati Sioux after a kid climbed in and uh, into the habitat and the gorilla started dragging the kid around. It looked like the kid was, you know, in, in danger of dying. And so Harambe had to be shot and killed. It became an internet sensation. And uh, now uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are saying they're going to win this for Harambe. And if they win, um, they're going to do something in honor of Harambe. As if I needed another reason to cheer for the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Uh there's a guy named Tom Nichols. You probably you probably not heard unless you spend a lot of time on Twitter and in the really really hyper political circles of Twitter, you probably don't know who Tom Nichols is. Tom Nichols is a guy who among he's he's uh he's been a professor um he at the he's an academic he wrote a book called The Death of Expertise, basically lamenting the fact that everything is all hickish and rubbish and nobody listens to the experts anymore. He wrote this before COVID-19 and all that. But he was uh, ostensibly a Republican, but he became very, very anti-Trump to the point where now everything Republican he is opposed to simply because the Republican Party allowed Trump to happen, so they must be punished for eternity. He's out there today 
really upset at an article where the writer is actually kind of celebrating the fact that people are more interested in football than American politics. The quote that he's highlighted here, I would pose to them the following question. When was the last time an action or decision made by by a member of Congress, your own representative in the House or any other, meaningfully altered you and your family? I suspect that very few would be able to answer that question and that even fewer still would say that an elected official had done anything in living memory that inspired joy, awe, longing, envy, or any of the other emotions, save perhaps despair, that millions of experience weekly, indeed even hourly, during football season. That's the quote that Nichols is is, uh, lamenting here. His own comment is, this is remarkable. The editor of a Christian magazine rhapsodizes about the joy, awe, and envy of football while celebrating the decline of civic awareness. This man, Tom Nichols, a very online guy on Twitter, is mad that not more people are into very online Twitter politics like he is. And this is what is so wrong with a huge portion of society. Whether you're on social media or not, there are so many people who are so heavily invested into every little thing that happens in Washington, D.C. To an extent, even what happens in Baton Rouge, although what happens in Baton Rouge has a more direct impact on our lives than what happens in Washington, D.C., we got, we, we're getting into this fight over the Supreme Court. When is the last time a decision by the Supreme Court had a major impact on your life? Probably the Affordable Care Act decision. Almost every American was affected by that in some way, particularly those of you who were really upset about this tax uh, for not getting uh, health insurance or for those of you uh, that were forced to buy it and forced to pay for plans that you didn't actually you know, need. That's probably the last major Supreme Court decision. What major legislation has come out of Congress that has affected your life? The, the Patient, Care and Affordable, the Patient uh, Protection and Affordable Care Act is one. The Trump tax cuts are another. But it's very rare that something comes out of Congress or the president signs into law that has any meaningful impact on your life in the near term. Now, in the long term, sometimes they do have impacts. But in the near term, it's not actually all that common. And so people aren't really engaged in all of these petty squabbles day after day. I got a text from a friend asking what I thought about the, the RNC censuring Liz Cheney and Adam Kinziger. Honestly, I don't care. Both of those politicians made their bed when they decided to go and join with the Democrats on the January 6th commission. Neither of them would be where they are right now if they, they could have stayed critical of Trump but not taken part in that, and they would be fine right now. They made their bed. They have to lie in it. Kinziger's retiring. Liz Cheney's running for re-election. I suspect Cheney's probably going to keep her seat, but I don't know right now. Trump's preferred candidate does not seem to be raising a whole lot of money right now. But that can change. Events do happen. Things do change. But a lot of people on social media and 
frankly, in the real world are so concerned with what's happening in Washington, D.C. They, they fret, they lament over it. But that's a shrinking number. And really, you don't need to fret over what's happening in Washington, D.C. every minute of every day. And I know I talk a lot, but that's that's the point of the show is to talk about what's in the news. And a lot of what happens in Washington, D.C. is the news, and we do have to talk about it. But I've told you all before, you know, after, after this show is over, I'm going to go watch a high school soccer game, support students I've taught, support my buddy who coaches. I'll go sit out in the cold in my, my coat, my hat, my gloves. I will go support this team. I'm not going to worry about politics this weekend. I may cook. I may go do some shopping. I may go sit in Barnes & Noble in the cafe there and read a cookbook. I'm going to do something that is not politics. It's unhealthy to live a life that is, that is centered around what happens in politics. I take the weekends off. In the evenings after this show, I'll think about what my column in the morning is going to be. I might go home and play a video game. I might go home and uh, watch TV with my daughters. I may go and watch a, a basketball or soccer game. I'll do something that isn't politics because it's not healthy. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and put today's episode of the Joe Cunningham Show up on podcast form where you can find it on Apple or Spotify, wherever. Find me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. It's going to be a great, chilly weekend. I will talk to you guys again on Monday. Thank you guys very much for listening. Talk to you again soon.